Good book. Yeah. Yeah, they named it after you, didn't they? <laughs> Joshua chapter 6. And uh, we're doing this series right now. It's called um, Dream Again. And uh, last week we talked about the dream killers and uh, the four different dream killers. Uh, how many of you remember at least one of the dream killers that we talked about last Anybody that was here Sunday? Yes, Mike, what's one? Doubt, that's one of them, okay. What's another one? Criticism, okay, what was it? Huh? Distraction, that's another one. What's another one? Intimidation, thank Are you looking at notes? <laughs> I saw you looking down and look up, so I figured you, yeah, so intimidation. Well, this week I want to talk to you about, and this will sound like kind of a strange title, but it's called The Miracle is in the Mundane. The Miracle is in the Mundane. And I, I think when we're done with this, you'll see how that applies in this. But, you know, anything worth having in your life, you're going to have to fight for. There's just, it's just the way that it is. It's just not going to come to us. We're going to have to fight to get what we have. I, I love um, hearing about um, George Washington and the American Revolution. And I don't know if you, how much you know about, remember from school, or college, or some shows maybe that you've seen about what was going on during the American Revolution. But you know, George Washington was, uh, by all respects, he would have looked like a failed general at one point. I mean, basically the British ran them out of New York City, ran them out of New Jersey, chased them across New Jersey, then chased them out of Philadelphia. And so all of that came back under British rule, um, in Philadelphia, all of the people that had homes there, like Ben Franklin and others, had to abandon all their homes. And the British came in and took all those homes over. And it really looked like it was bad. Then they had the Valley Forge deal that happened with a horrible winter there. Washington, his troops, his one of his very close uh, generals, General Lee, actually uh, was uh, turned against him, was actually... Uh, turning information over to the enemy and was trying to hijack George Washington, what he was doing with the troops. I mean, it was a bad deal. And then the other problem was they were dealing with Congress, and Congress wouldn't pay the soldiers because they didn't have the money, and so they fought over it. So you had all this army that had been working and had no money, basically, to be able to take care of their families, had no money for themselves. Guys are dying. It's cold. The food is horrible. I mean, it's just an absolutely terrible situation. And if you were to take a snapshot of what was happening right then, it would just look like, wouldn't it have just been better not to have done any of this? Or just give up. I mean, truthfully, you think about how bad it was. But one year later, one year, within one year, Washington, they had won the battle. When it looked, sometimes when it looks like it's at its worst, it's about to become its best. And the key is, is that you and I, that we remain faithful, really to remain faithful, to endure through. And, and so, you know, when we talk about dreaming again, all of us have dreams. And we talked about last week how that sometimes those dreams get set aside or we give up on them and we just, we never think, you know, that it's ever going to change. It's always going to be this way. Our marriage is always going to be this way. Children are always going to be this way. Finances are always going to be this way. We're always going to have debt. We're always going to be just getting barely along. My health is always going to be this way. And listen, I want to tell you that God is a God of miracles. 
And not just a God, as we talked about earlier, he is not just a miracle worker in the Bible. He is a miracle worker today. He didn't stop doing miracles after the Bible was written. Jesus was a miracle worker. The apostles worked miracles. And God still does absolutely incredible miracles that he will do in our lives because he is a miraculous God. But we have to realize that in the midst of all of that, that there is this there is always going to be a fight for you and I to keep our focus on the God of miracles and to keep our focus on the dream. I mean, I could tell, I, I mean, I, if, I, if, if I was so, so choose to do this, I don't tonight, but I could tell you all the times I thought about getting out of the ministry. All the time. I mean, just get, that's it. I'm just going to go get a job. I just, that's it. You know, right now in the United States, um, there are, there's, there's, uh, I think I, the last that I had seen was like 1,400 pastors a month that are quitting the ministry, giving up, getting out of the ministry. Some of my friends have, have basically said, I'm done. I'm going to go into a different career. I'm done doing. Ministry is tough. Everything is tough, though. I mean, I just want to say ministry is tough because even though there are some aspects that are difficult, life is difficult. And you could check out. You could still be going through the motions and already have checked out on life. And just like, well, whatever happens, happens. But I want you to know that, look, because God is a God of miracles and because God still can, there are things that can happen. Your marriage can get turned around. Your finances can. You can be free of 105000 or whatever your indebtedness is. Even if that all you're making is $40,000 a year or whatever amount that you, look, God can save by many. He can save by few. He is not limited by anything. You and I, we tend to think of him in limitations. God doesn't think of himself in limitations. Anything great takes fight. And what if George Washington and all of his generals would have just said, you know what? We've been betrayed. It's, I'm tired. It's cold. You know, I'm frustrated. It's bad. We've gotten chased out of our homes. I don't want to do this anymore. So I'm done. Let's just check out. Let's just all go home. Let's just get along with the system. You and I would not have the country that we have today had those people not endured and kept that dream alive. We, we would not. We would not. We would be under British rule to this day, and uh, which would be a total, you know, the taxation that was happening without, you know, the things that were taking place, the taxation without representation. I mean, Look, it would be a very, very difficult system for you and I in what would be happening in our lives today if that had not. So we are grateful for that. Sometimes I think our attitude about what God is doing and how God is working in our life is very narrow. We're not really seeing the big picture. Let let me give you an example of this. In the Bible, the Israelites, and you remember this, they end up down in Egypt, right? When Joseph is there and he brings all of them down and Israel comes down and all these brothers come down and their families all come down. And they're there for a while and then Joseph dies and then a Pharaoh rises up that doesn't know, doesn't remember Joseph, didn't know him. And this Pharaoh decides to make the people, put the people into slavery. Now it was bad, and it, but, but yet they were provided for, even though it was slavery and they had very difficult jobs. For 400 years, actually it was about 430 years, they end up in captivity in Egypt. So what was a good thing became a very difficult thing for them. What saved their lives all of a sudden became a system that was trying to take their lives. 
And so for 400 and some years, they're living in this very difficult environment that they're in. But God had always intended to bring them out. And with a strong army, he was going to bring them out. And uh, I love how that when God said that why he was, how he was going to bring them out, he says that I'll bring you out with a mighty hand. And then he finished it and with many riches. So you're going to come out better than you went in. You're going to come out better than you went in, but you got to get to the place where you let me bring you out. And so God raises up, of course, as you know, he raises up Moses. Moses goes in and uh, God works this great deliverance. I want you to think about that that 400 years of bondage for the Israelites actually was 400 years of them to develop them in their strength and their understanding of God. I want you to think about the backside of this. I mean, we tend to look at how difficult it was. Of course, they were definitely, it was not easy circumstances. But God was getting them ready in that 400-year period to live a life that they were unfamiliar with. You know, when Israel lived in Egypt, they didn't live in tents. They lived in houses. They had doorposts. Tents don't have doorposts. You know, you remember whenever the, the angel came over. You know, they didn't get to go on camping trips on the weekend. And God's got to get this massive amount of people. They say a million people. He's got to get them ready to be able to go through the wilderness. And so for 400 years, they go through it. And then he raises up a leader, and it's time for them to go. And God knows the right time. He raises up this leader and takes them out. Now, you know, in our thinking, what we would say is, one day of difficulty, get us out of this mess and get us where we need to go. But that's, that's how we think, but that's not how God thinks. That's not how God thinks. God didn't send Israel to Egypt to do them harm. He actually sent them to Egypt to do them good, to do them good. And he told them, look, I, I'll let you guys know as you're getting ready that there's going to come a time. He, it was prophetic. He had already said in Genesis that you will, guys will end up in captivity. I think some of that is because God just knew that we tend to settle into things and become comfortable with things, and we don't like to move forward in things, and we want everything to be the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the Israelites, maybe they outstayed their time in Egypt. Maybe after the famine was over and the rest of the world, they decided, you know, we've built a house here. We live here. This is a nice place. We got food. We got, you know, people know who Joseph was. We're respected. We've got the land of, what was the, Geshem? Goshen, thank you. We've got the land of Goshen, and it's prosperous for our cattle and sheep, and we're doing really good. And maybe they missed their window to get out. Who knows? But we do know this. They ended up there a lot longer than they, meant, than they ever meant to be. But see, what God does is that he takes this very difficult situation, and he begins to prepare them for the next journey and the next adventure they're about to go on. And he leads them out, and he tells them, you're going to live in tents. And I, 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 I just... You know, if you've never lived in a tent and you've always lived in a house, a tent can become real interesting, can it? I mean, you do, you got to figure out. I mean, things are just not the same. It's it's uh, you know you 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 can almost you know feel like unprotected because it's just that easy. You're just a piece of fabric away from people being able to get to you. And and so this is what they did. They had to set their houses up every 
place that they went. They had to tear down and set back up. Before it was, we just go to this one place. And so all this time, God in their bondage is getting them ready for the next thing. Let me ask you a question. What if the trial that you're in right now is prepping you for what God has waiting for you in your future? What if what you're going through right now is God getting you ready for the next thing that he's going to do in your life? And it's something you're not familiar with. It's something you're not comfortable with. But he knows what it is, and he's getting you ready for it. See, I just think at times we're very funny about our perception about God because we look at him like, well, Lord, you wouldn't want it to be hard for me. God, you would want it to be easy for me. God, you wouldn't want it. You wouldn't want anything to be complicated. I'm not saying that, look, I'm not saying God causes difficulty. We live in a world that's difficult. And that's because of what we did, not because of what God did, because of the choices mankind made. So, <clears throat> you know, when, when we look at the environment that you and I live in, we live, we, work, we live in an environment that wants to fight against the very nature and heart of who God is. And so what we have to do on our part is we have to resist that and we have to move forward and we have to persevere even when we don't want to persevere. The Israelites were pushed into a spot in their life. What was a great trial for them was God getting them ready to move them out of Egypt, to move them out of Egypt. And sometimes, unfortunately, sometimes God has to allow us permission to get so uncomfortable with where we are that we're finally willing to do something to make a shift or make a change. What if the trial you're in right now is getting you ready? You know, you and I, we think we're waiting on God. What if God is just waiting on you? Well, I don't know if I like that preacher. Well, it doesn't matter whether you like it or not. The truth is, God could be just waiting on you to get in the right place at the right time to get yourself stronger and stop whining so much and stop complaining about your life and Stop looking for easy way outs and start thinking, I'm going to have to work hard for this to happen. You know, have you ever thought about that, you know, God was going to bring the Israelites out, so why didn't he just do it? Why didn't he just speak to them in this? Why didn't he just, I mean, we know that the, the possibility of a death angel coming in and taking out lives, why didn't he just send the death angel and wipe every Egyptian out? Why didn't he... Why didn't he just come in and sound with a loud, booming voice and say, let my people go? Because here's what God said. I'm going to do this, but Moses, you got to go talk to Pharaoh. And, and look, you, don't, you and I, we wouldn't understand how difficult that was for Moses to do that. I mean, that was a real, that was a tough situation to put Moses into because one, Moses was a criminal. He had killed somebody and, you know, and so now he's got to go back I mean, when he went down to, to, to live with, uh, you know, when he moved out, God went across the wilderness, lived out there. He was a shepherd. Look, he wasn't thinking about going back. I'm not going back. Have you ever said that? I'm, never, I'm not ever going back to that. I'm not going to. And God says, okay, you're going back. Wait a minute. I, wait, I, I said I wasn't going back. Well, I don't care what you said. You're going back. All right. Well, why did God not just do it? I mean, we know, we, we talk about this God in our church that he's the, he's the God of the miraculous and he can do it because he uses people. 
Because if you understand the nature and heart of God, you understand that he's a covenant God. And what covenant means is that God's saying, look, you're coming into this with what you got. I'm coming into this with what I've got. And together we're going to combine my resources with your resources and we're going to do some stuff. Okay? So he says, Moses, I need your voice. You go in and you go do this. Why did he with David? I mean, look, Goliath's defying the armies of Israel. Why didn't David just say, okay, Lord, I'm just going to pray over here and you kill Goliath? Could God have killed Goliath? Sure, he could have killed Why don't he just get down on his knees and pray? Why did he have to go down and get five stones out of the water to go fight Goliath? I mean, what was the point in all of that? I mean, why didn't, God, why didn't he just say, I'm going to pray, Saul, God will kill him, take him out? He'll be up. Because God was going to use David's resources to bring this victory. What about Noah? I mean, why, why did Noah have to build an ark? I mean, why didn't God just say, okay, I'm going to tell you what mountain to stand on. It's the highest one. You guys go over there and you'll be okay. Or why didn't he just, with a blast of his nostril, just wipe out all of mankind? I know he could have done that on assignment, but this is the way that he did it. So he tells, Mo, he tells, he tells Noah, you're going to build this ark. It takes years and years and years and years and years, and it's a lot of hard work. And I'm sure people are ridiculing Noah, and they're saying, we've never seen rain. We don't know what you're talking about. It's not going to happen. What's a flood? And on and on. And he deals with all the ridicule. And yet, in the end, God protects Noah and his family and brings them through the flood and protects all these animals. Now, what do we see about God in this? That God works with us. See, what we would rather have is God just do it. Well, it's true, isn't it? I mean, let's be honest. God, just take care of this, okay? You know, like I, I, I've, I've talked with pastors. I do a lot of leadership training, and they're like, well, I got this problem on my staff, and I really, you know, I'm just, uh, I got this person. They're causing a lot of problems. And I'm like, well, what are you going to do? And they say, well, I'm just praying that God will take them out. Well, Guess how God takes them out? You go talk to them and ask them to leave. Well, yeah, but pastor, that's hard. Exactly. But see, anything worth having is worth fighting for. And so sometimes you have to do stuff like that. I mean, you can't just stand back and say, Lord, take care of this. Well, God, I've made all this debt. Now you take care of it. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, God's going to go, I'm not taking care of nothing do you cut your credit cards up? Start living by cash. I'm not getting a lot of amens out of this, but you know, I mean, look, it's just the way it is. Well, God, I want to live healthy and I want to live to an old age. All right, change your diet. Start exercising. No, wait, you didn't hear what I asked you. I asked for a long life. Well, I'm going to satisfy you with the long life and here's how I'm going to do it. Well, no, 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 wait, wait. Why don't you just come down, you know, have Tinkerbell come down, tap me with the wand, and I'll have perfect health until I someday go, until I'm 120, and then I'll die. I don't got to do anything. But see, you and I know that's not reality. And that is not how God works. So as we lay this all out, look, I, what I want you to get grab hold of is, is that maybe God is waiting on you. Maybe there's something going on. Maybe, you know, you're looking at that marriage and you're saying, this stinks, it's not going anywhere. Maybe, and God, I need you to do something. Maybe what God's saying is, I need you to do something. 
I need you to make the effort. I need you to start studying. I need you to start praying. I need you to start loving. I need you to do this. Or with your finances, I need you to start tithing. I need you to, I want you to do that because we're going to do it together. I'm not going to just do this for you. Thank you, Pastor. That was totally awesome. Look, don't fear the dream that God has in your heart. Don't, don't allow the work that goes with it. it. It's going to be tough, but anything worth having is worth working for and is worth sacrificing for and is worth fighting for. Is worth fighting for. You know, I, I'm, I want my whole family to be saved. I really do. I want all my kids. I want my, my, my son, my daughter-in-law, my daughter, my, my, uh, uh, my, my other daughter. I want all of my grandchildren and all of their children all to be in heaven. All of them. I want everyone that my kids are associated with to be in heaven as well. People they love and care about. I want them to be in heaven as well. Now, I could sit back and just want that and hope for that, or I can do what the Scripture tells us to do, and I can begin to confess and pray and believe for that to happen in their lives. And I'm not just talking about one time that, well, I prayed and now I'm done. Sometimes people will use faith that way and say, well, faith, you know, Jesus said, don't repeat yourself in prayer. And he said vain repetitions. Vain means they're empty and you don't mean what you're saying. You're just going through the motions of doing it. But if faith's involved with it, you never are wrong for repeating what you're believing for. Ever. As long as faith is part of it and it's not empty and vain. So here, you know, I'm praying, man, I pray every day. God, open their eyes. Let their eyes, I believe they're all, all their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I believe that, you know, Marley, Ellie, and Zane. I believe for Verona. I believe for Shayla, Mason, and Torrance, Lord God. I believe, I'm, I speak their names every single day. Every day. I call out to God for it. You know, for years I didn't do that. For years I didn't do it. Now, I believed it, but I didn't do it because somehow I thought, well, God, you know, right? You know, Lord, what I want. You know, I prayed one time a long time ago. You know where I'm at with this. Well, what God is looking for is this combination together of him and I working together towards this. And I know that blows our mind because we're like, well, why, you know, why does God want us to be involved? Because he wants you as part of the miracle. He wants you as part of the miracle. Did you find Joshua 6 yet? Okay, thank you. So, you know, Joshua, they're, they've gone through the 400 years. They've come out. Then they end up in 40 years. Joshua and Caleb's the only ones that have lived through all this. And uh, Moses is gone. Joshua's the leader. I mean, it's, pretty, uh, it's a pretty interesting deal. God's had to tell Joshua a whole bunch of times, fear not, don't be afraid, it's all going to be okay. Caleb's just a wild man. He's like, I'm as strong today as I was then. He's 86 years old by now. And uh, he's like, I can go in and do whatever I need to do. He and Joshua, really, they were, they were men of faith, obviously. And uh, so they've come up now that they're crossing the Jordan River but they got one problem. The gateway across the Jordan, as they get across, the gateway to the promised land is, is blocked by Jericho. Is blocked by Jericho. Now, there are a lot of discrepancies over this, and I, 
I, it's real hard with archaeology to tell stuff about what something looked like because they're still discovering things with this. But it's believed that, that Jericho was about, the one, la, one of the writers I looked at said it was about a half a mile all the way around Jericho, okay? The wall was thick enough. It was at different levels of the wall. People lived in the wall in certain parts of it because Rahab lived in the wall, that at different levels, and at one point on the wall, it was wide enough that chariots could race across the top of the wall. So you have this massive wall that all these people run into. It's about a half a mile all the way around. Joshua is leading now. He's in charge of the army. And he's going to lead everybody in. And he begins to look at, as they get ready to cross, they see Jericho, this great big fortress, the biggest fortress that exists in that time, that's setting right there at the gateway in. And so in verse 1 of chapter 6, it says, Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given into your hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. Now I want you to think about this because this is point one with this. There's going to be three of these tonight. The first thing for you and I to get to our dream is we have to be able to see it. We have to be able to see it. What did he say to Joshua? I think every translation says the same thing, pretty close anyways. See, I have given you, I have given you Jericho. I See, so here's what I want to say. If you can't see it, you can't believe it. If you can't see it, you can't believe it. You got to be able to see it. You have to, you know, this goes back to, you know, we talked about over the last several weeks. You'll never outperform your inner image. You can't because you'll always bring your life back to whatever it is you believe about you and what you believe about God. So in here, if things are saying no, 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 you'll always bring your life back to, you know, you, you have to be careful with this. I, I just gone through a little bit of an experience with this. You have to be careful that you don't let the you that you have, the inner you stop you from getting to what God wants you to have in your life. Like the inner you, when someone walks up to you and hands you a thousand dollars, the inner you, if it's not right, will say, you didn't have to do that. Well, maybe they did have to do it. Maybe God told them to do that. Amen. Maybe there was just something about you that they wanted to bless. And so look, take I mean, not that we're arrogant about it, but we're just like, well, God bless you. Thank you. I don't know what to say, but don't say no. I've I've actually seen people say, no, you can't give that to me. Don't do that. No, 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 no. See, your own image, and and I know it sounds ridiculous that someone that probably needs $1,000 would reject $1,000, but the inner you that what you believe about God and what you believe about you can actually reject and repel the blessings that God wants to bring to your life. You can hijack your own future, and we do it all the time. Not just with money, we do it with our health, we do it with all kinds, with relationships. We hijack ourselves into, into these difficulties. So you have to see it. So if you weren't keeping notes tonight, point one, if you want to see God's plan, God's dream come to pass in your life, you got to be able to see it. You got to be able to see it. You want a miracle? You got to be able to see it. Uh, Genesis chapter 13. In fact, uh, if you'll just keep a finger here in Joshua and turn back with me real quick to Genesis chapter 13, I want you to see something that God said to Abraham and, uh, in chapter 13. In chapter 13, it says this. Um, 
Verse 14. And the Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, lift up now your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land which you see, to you will I give it, and to your seed forever. Okay? Now, what did he tell him he had to do? Look north, look south. And then he said it, and you, I don't want you to miss this. He said, for all the land which you see, all the land which you see, to you will I give it and to your seed forever. So here's what God's saying. Look, Abram, if you see it, it's yours. But if you can't see it, it's not yours. And that's what God's going to say to every one of you here tonight. If you can't see it, if you, if you don't see it, you're not going to see it. That's just the way that it is. If you can't see yourself healthy, if you can't see yourself debt-free, if you can't see yourself, you know, with a family gathered around you that's all born, look, then you're never going to get to that place because you'll just keep backing it back off to what you really see, to what you really see. You know, we, we talk about how that, uh, in, in our culture, we talk about people that see the glass half empty and people that see the glass half full. Right? And then, then I think there's another category that don't, people that just don't care how much is in the glass, right? And we just don't talk about them. So, well, you're a half empty person, right? You know, I, one of my favorite stories, I've shared this a couple of times here from the pulpit, but, um, and this is so true. I mean, this is absolutely true. Guys move into a new town. As he's getting ready to pull in, he stops at a gas station, has his U-Haul behind it. He says to the attendant, hey, listen, we just, we bought a home in this town. I'm just curious, you know, what do you think about the town that we're moving into? He says, well, tell me about the town that you just came from. He says, well, the town I just came from, he says, you know, truthfully, he said, uh, people are rude and uh, they, they just don't care. They're disrespectful. Um, people aren't very friendly. He says, well, I'm sorry to tell you this, but the people in this town are exactly the same way. Two days later, another guy pulls into the gas station, and uh, he, as he pulls up, he, he says, we just bought a home in the town. He says, I'd like to you know, ask you a question about the town. Could you tell me something about the people? What's it like in the city, in this town? And he said, well, what was it like where you came from? He goes, man, people were awesome. He says, I'll tell you what, we had such a great community of people, loving, caring. People would make sacrifices for one another. He says, I was part of some groups that, you know, just really were there for me in difficult times. He said, you know, it it was just amazing. It was hard for me to leave there. He says, well, I got good news for you. The people in this town are the exact same way. Here's the deal. If that's the way you see it, then that's what you'll see. I live in a small town, all right? Breckenridge is what I consider, you know, Mayberry RFD, okay? So it's little. Um, what's the population now? Is it 1,500? If Is it even close to that? 1,400. But our policeman does get a bullet in, the, in his gun, right? Yes. Now, there are people that live in that community for every single 
thing that happens in that community, there are people that have a negative view of what happened, and there are people that have a very positive view of what happened. So a good thing could be happening, but they don't see it as a good thing. So what do they speak? Evil. What did the, Jesus, what did the Bible tell us? Do not let your good be spoken of as evil. Don't let that happen. And especially make sure that's not you. Because so many good things. I mean, it's amazing. You go to a village council meeting and all the great things that have happened in the community. I mean, I've lived there 25 years. I mean, it's, look, man, it's come a long way in 25 years. A long way. Good things that have happened. Are there more things to do? Sure, there's more. But it's a great community. Merrill is a great community. Ithaca is an awesome community. I mean, Alma is a great, I mean, all these places, Saginaw, all these different places, they're all awesome. But there are people that live right there and they absolutely hate it. And they probably live right next door to somebody that absolutely loves it. Yeah. I mean, I live in a community where, I mean, I think it's awesome. The ice cream place is right across the street from my house. How cool is that? I never go. I don't eat there. I can't eat it. But I mean, it's there. At least I, hey, praise the Lord. You know, it's right across the street. I can walk everywhere I want to go and get whatever I want at the store. And it's all right there. I love that. Amen. I know my neighbors. I'm, I'm, I'm involved in conversations. I like that. We're not all closed off. See, my point is this. If you can't see it, if you see it one way, then that's the way it's going to end up turning out. That's the way it's going to turn out. What do you see? What do you see? I've seen it happen so many times with people even coming to a church. They're like, man, this is such a great place because they don't know anybody yet. This is an awesome place. And they came from a church they were disappointed in and frustrated with and, and angry and had all kinds of issues with people. Look, we got some tough people in this church. You just haven't met them yet. I mean, they're tough. You catch them on, the, you catch them on a bad day, it's not a good situation. I know you're wondering who I'm talking about, but look, it's just the way that it is. It's people. Okay, it's Sharon. But I, I mean, <laughs> no, man, you got you to gotta see it. That's what he told Joshua. He says, Joshua, you got to see this. And this is so powerful. You know, Hebrews 11, 1 says that faith, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, and it's the evidence of what? Things that you can't see. And so your faith is giving life to these things that you can't. Maybe you don't see that right now, but you got faith. That's what faith does is it keeps you, it gets you up every day and says, we're going to do this. I'm going to fight for this. I'm going to, I'm going to get this. Amen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. So you got to be able to see it. Number two is in verses three. Here's where God begins to say to him, you shall compass the city, all you men of war, and you'll go round about the city once. Thus you shall do six days. I can just see, I mean, I just can just envision him telling everybody this is our game plan. 
I mean, I just can, just, I mean, it's just, you talk about a crazy game. They're probably like, what have you been smoking, Joshua? I mean, this is totally whacked out, man. I mean, Joshua's like, okay, so I talked to the Lord and the Lord said, okay, we're going to line up and we're going to get the ark out. We're going to get some trumpet players. We're going to put them all out in front of the ark. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to go right towards Jericho. And every single day we're going to march around the wall and we're not going to say anything. What? No, and we're going to do that for six days, and we're just going to keep doing it. And look, on nothing is going to change in six days. Nothing. And then on the seventh day, here's the really awesome plan God gave me. Now, you think of yourself, you know, this, you're, you're in this army, and this is what they're telling, especially if you're in the praise band. You know, you're back in a situation like no weapons, i got to blow a horn. You know, I, I mean, it's, just a, it's, it's not a good situation for them. And he's like, no, now look, we're going to do this for six days, one time around. Uh, it might take us, I don't know how long it takes to you know, walk around a half mile, but let's say, okay, we're going to do that in you know, 20 minutes. So we're going to march, 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 all the way around back to the camp. And then tomorrow we're going to get up, we're going to do the exact same thing. March, 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 all the way around, and then we're going to come back. And then the next day, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to do that for six days. Then the seventh day, here's where it gets really awesome. This would be really a lot of fun. We're going to go down and not just march one time, but what God told me was we're going to march around it six times. And then on the seventh time, we're just going to go nuts. We're going to start shouting. The trumpet players are going to start blowing their horns. I mean, we're just going to go crazy. And God told me the walls will fall. And I could just see they're standing there and, they, and Joshua saying, and the walls will fall and they all look at the walls. Right? What do you mean the walls will fall? Did you see the walls? You were in the wall. You know the wall's a big wall. You were there 40 years ago. You guys, you guys are, you know, you guys have been in all this. You, you know all about all of this. You, you understand all of this. You've been in this promised land before. You understand what's there. Now the wall, God told me the walls will fall. And, and guys, we're just going to go in, and these massive walls are all going to fall because we're shouting. And it, it, okay, no one, no one has ever done this before. So we don't even have a movie that we could watch or a documentary, right, that we could lean on and say, well, it's happened before, right? I mean, you know, if it was a thing like we're up at the Red Sea and I say, well, you know, the thing is that God just told me that we're going to be able to pass through and so he's going to freeze the waters on each side, you at least have a reference of Charlton Heston standing up on the rock, right, and Moses and parting the waves, right? We have a reference. But realize that had never happened before, ever. So we have no reference book for any of this. We have no, you know, we did, they, you can't go to school to learn this kind of thing. I mean, we're in a very difficult situation facing a very, very strong adversary that outnumbers us and is more powerful than us and has the advantage because of being inside the walled city. And you're telling me, that we're going to beat them. Well, here's the deal. Not only do we have to see it, but we have to plan it. We have to plan for our dream to come to pass. Sometimes those plans can seem a little crazy, but here's the thing that I want you to grab hold of with this. That even though our plans may seem like they are strange, God will guide our plan. 
God will not do our plan. God will guide our plan. And I just want you to get this because this is very important to me. In, in Psalm 33 and 11, you don't need to turn to this one, but in Psalm 33, 11, it basically says this, the plans of God last from generation to generation. They're everlasting, okay? In the book of, um, in the book of Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 9, it says, many are the plans of a man's heart, but God shall direct his way, okay? So here's the thing. There's nothing wrong with planning. There's nothing wrong with planning. You just can't get so emotionally invested in your plan that you're not willing to listen to God anymore. And that, and that can happen, can it? Man, we could get so attached to it being the way we thought it was going to happen. I knew a lady. Sharon could testify to this. Uh, her name was uh, Karen. And man, she was believing for her husband to get born again. I mean, she was believing. She prayed. She went to meetings. But, but, but there was a problem that was starting to happen, Josh. She was starting to say stuff like, and God's going to call him into the ministry. And, and I could see us serving together in ministry, full-time ministry. And so all of this kept growing. And, and this was all, you could see that this was something she was, God wasn't telling her this was something she wanted. And there's nothing wrong with desires of our heart. Hey, that's a great thing. But if our desires become so inflexible that now what we're saying is, no, God, this is how you have to do this. So she had this whole plan in her mind of how her husband was going to get saved, how he was going to come to the Lord, how he was going to, it was going to be this big, you know, big deal in church. He was going to receive Christ. He's going to get the call to ministry. They're going to go do ministry together. And finally, she got so frustrated that God wasn't doing what she wanted that she started cheating on him. And she started running around, and then she left him. For a Christian man, you know, somebody already that was somebody else's project. And so, <laughs> so she left him. Do you know that as soon as she left, now you're gonna, this is bizarre, as soon as she left him, within just a couple of months, he gave his heart to Christ. Is now married to a Christian woman and is a solid supporter in a church and doing ministry and, uh, you know, serving, as, not, not full-time, but serving in the church. Now, here's my point. We have to become careful in all of this that we're not saying, God, my plan is your plan. This is how you'll do this. This is how you'll do it. I see myself getting out of debt by winning the lottery. So God, give me the numbers. Right? Because that's how I believe that's what I want you to do. Don't tell me that people don't ask God to do that for them. Sure they do. I see myself, you know, the... What if God's saying, no, no, my plan, I'll get, I, I, I will make you so prosperous, you'll go nuts with how much prosperity you have, and I will bless you, but here's how I'm going to do it. A little here, a little there, a little here, a little there, and in the end, you'll be in great shape. See, you have to plan, but you can't get so caught up in your plan that you're saying, Lord, wait, it's my plan now, it's what I want, this is how you got to do this, that we have to back off you've heard me talk about this before, but, you know, basically I told God, I told my dad, I don't believe God ever wants me to get married. 
be careful when you make statements like that because now you've basically given God the green light to bring the right person into your life. And that's when I met Sharon. I mean, I thought I was done. I was just ready to go be a monk on the foreign mission field and, you know, live the celibate lifestyle, and that was it. And I thought, well, that's the direction God's leading me, and that's what I'm going to do, and I'm ready to do whatever the Lord wants. But that plan changed. It changed quickly, actually, for me. So see it, plan it. You got to plan it. You got to plan that dream. You got, you know, Sharon talks, and we talk a lot about dream boards. Dream boards are awesome, but dream boards are like budgets, okay? They're not written in stone. You got to, sometimes you got to make adjustments to the budget. Sometimes you got to make adjustments to the dream. Sometimes pictures and things, you just realize that that was just a thing that you, you know, you, you wanted then. You don't want to do that now. I don't want to do that now. I want to do something. That's okay. And especially if God's trying to give you direction with the plan. If God's trying to give you direction. I believe in long-term plans. Man, 15 years out, 20 years out, where are you going to be? What's going to be going on? What are you thinking about? That's all great. But all of that is subject to change. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's written in stone and, oh my gosh, I got to get this done by the time I'm, you know, 60 years old. That, that may not happen. So he has this great plan. We need to have plans. We see it, we plan it. Then the last one, and this is how it has to work, is we have to execute it. We have to execute it. You got to execute the dream. So once you have that plan lined out, you got to execute it. James 2.17, this is out of the Weymouth translation, says this. So also faith, if it is uh, unaccompanied by obedience, has no life in it, and as so long as it stands alone. It has no life in it as long as it stands alone. So you have to execute it. Because if you don't execute it, and all you have is something that you see, you just have a daydream. And if it's only something that you wrote a plan, but you're not executing it, then it's just a, it's just a scheme. But if it's something that you're executing in your life, you know, I'm a firm believer in this. I, I, because Sharon and I, we've seen how this has worked in our lives. There are so many things we see, and we're already seeing further down the road for our lives. But that's great. But you got to plan. How's that? What are we going to? What's our part to do in all of that? What can we do to make that happen? Amen. You know, someday, I mean, this is no pie in the sky thing. I want to live on ten percent and give away ninety. And that 10% is going to have to be pretty big for me to be happy. Are you, you understand what I'm saying? It's got to be pretty big. So that means the 90 is going to be real big. Amen. I would just love, I mean, just to, 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 to be able to do that, to help missionaries and just people that, you know, ministries and help plant churches and just have the finances that you could just do it, you know, write out checks and go, here, here you go, go for it. But you've got to plan for that. This is just going to happen. You know, and Dave Ramsey, I love the way he, because he talks about the plan. And, you know, the first one is, is to save $1,000 for your emergency fund. That'll change your life right there. Not $1,000 for you to go on vacation with. Not $1,000 for you to take the family out to eat with. Not 1000 for Christmas. That's not an emergency. 
but a thousand when the hot water heater breaks down or the tire blows up or whatever. So a thousand dollars. Then he has the next, you know, the debt snowball and you start going, paying off debts and getting rid of debts. And you, it's a miracle. I mean, you've paid off tons of debt. You guys went through Dave Ramsey, right? You paid off all kinds of debt and we paid off all kinds of debt. We're moving towards a debt free lifestyle. And then the next plan is, is that don't just be debt free. Start putting away money for your months. Get six months worth of operating capital. You say, oh my gosh, six months. But see, there's always a plan for the next thing that we're going to do. Put six months worth of income away. You say, well, why would you do that? You always, God's always going to bless you. Yeah, that's true. But think of your life with no debt and six months worth of income in the bank. How would that feel, man? I mean, what would that look like for you? You know what? For most of God's people, they'd be like, well, that's about as strange as seeing the waters part, right? That's about as strange as watching Jericho fall down. But it's a plan. You know, health-wise, you know, if you think that you're going to lose a bunch of weight quick, you're so wrong. It'll never happen. I mean, you can do it. There's cheats you can do, but you always put that weight back on. You just are going to. You know, I've done all of that. I lost 30 pounds and put on 50. So don't, don't, the way you lose weight, you set a plan. You see it, I'm going to do it. You set a plan. You know that if you lost two pounds a month, wouldn't that be awesome? Two pounds a month, that's all. You say, well, I could lose two, I could lose two pounds a month. That's 24 pounds in a year. But you got to have a plan. How are you going to lose that two pounds? And don't think by using my fitness pal that's going to get you to it because it's not. My fitness pal is not a life change. Does everybody know what my fitness pal is? Yeah. So that's not going to do it because eventually you get tired of inputting stuff in and, you know, it's not going to keep you from your cheating. So you're going to keep doing it. You got to have a plan and then you got to execute that plan. Slow growth is good growth. Slow weight loss is great weight loss because you can sustain it. One of the things I learned, in, which I'm dealing with and I'm not preaching on, I'm no diet nutrition expert, but if you lose a lot of weight, you have an internal mechanism that says, no, no, I'm not comfortable with this weight because I've been used to living this way. And so that's why your body will automatically, you can move right back to the weight you were real easy after you've lost a bunch of weight. But if you do it slow, your body adjusts to it. Your internal clock begins to adjust to it and you'll be able to sustain it in your life. That's what, you know, that's, that, that, that's a plan and then you have to execute it. Well, pastor, I don't believe any of that because my Bible says with long life will he satisfy me. And so I'm just believing God that I'll just have a long life. Okay, what is that long life going to look like though? I mean, are we going to be all bound up with arthritis in that long life? Are we going to be all bound, having to take every pill? And are we going to have to have the, 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 the pill case with Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday pills in there that we've got to take, you know, the morning? Now they have one that's two layers. It's morning and evening. So now I've got to take all these pills in the morning, and I've got to take all these pills in the evening. I've got to do it seven days a week, and I'm spending out of my pocket a couple of hundred dollars a week just to be able to have all those pills. I mean, so you can live a long life, but I want to live a long life with good memory, amen, with good health. I mean, I realize there's some things I won't be able to do, but you know what? There's a lot of things I'm going to be able to do. Because with long life, he will say it. But you're not going to get there just because you say, well, I see that. That's just a daydream. 
You got to plan it. How are you going to get there? How are you going to get there? What's your business plan to get there in your life? What's the next thing you're going to do? And then what happens after that? What happens after that? And then are you ready to execute it? Because that's when faith comes in. Now, the problem with all of this, and we'll stop, is it's, it's boring. Because to do it right, it is very boring. It's boring. You know, to eat the, the same foods, to stay on the same diet, to do the same exercises, to do all this stuff and to do it every single day. You know, my devotions, I, I love God, believe me. But sometimes I open my Bible and I'm like, I'd just rather watch the little rascals right now. Huh? When I get up in the morning to do communion and pray for all those people, I think, oh, I don't want to do this this morning. I don't, I don't know. I just, but there's got to be something bigger that you're looking forward to. See, the miracle is in the mundane. It's in the, doing the same right things all the time consistently in your life. So you've got to do daily devotions. You've got to do daily prayer. You've got to do the daily communion. You've got to, you know, tithe every week. That's a mundane thing. You know, hey, look, everything's exciting day one, but day six, day seven, that's when things can begin to drag. Marriage, if you want your marriage to work, you've got to really work hard at it. It takes 10 years to make a great marriage, and that's if you're intentional about making a great marriage. You've got a lot of stuff to work out in 10 years. And it gets boring sometimes because, you know, it's just you and her or her and you. And now you know everybody's fault. In 10 years, you know pretty much everybody's fault. You know what's, you know, you're dealing with bad breath in the morning. You're dealing with snoring at night. You're dealing with, is there, anybody know what I'm talking about? Some of you look at me like you're surprised. Oh, no, 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 it's true. You see yourselves at your best. You see yourselves at your worst. That's all involved. Familiarity becomes a killer in marriage as it does in ministry. That you become just so familiar, you begin to take them for granted. You've got to be consistent. You've got to consistently say, how are you doing today? And actually pay attention when they start talking. Consistent. But you've got to have a plan. So what's your dream? The key to you getting to your dream is in the mundane. It's in those very simple things you just do every day single day. Cut out sugar. Dear God, I couldn't do that. You've got to be kidding me. Well, come back in the fall. That'd be great. Then I'll, well, wait, pumpkin pie. Sorry, I can't cut it out. Right. Right. Well, well, wait. Okay. Come back in December. No, wait, Christmas is coming. Oh yeah, that's right. Well, come back in January. Well, uh, we got, we'll have cookies left over, I'm sure. So, no, you got to every day, Ken, every day. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. Forget the, your Bible and forgot to pray. You'll shrink, shrink, shrink. It's a proven fact. The same is true in your marriage. The same is true in your health. The same is true in every aspect of your life, those mundane things. What do you think they were thinking on day six when they marched around that wall? What would you have been thinking? I mean, you love me. You believe I'm a man of God, right? And I told you that this is what's going to happen. And now we're on the seventh day and we're doing the same thing we did for six days, but now we got to do it six more times and then one more time. And nothing is going to change. The wall's not coming down. 
Nothing's going to be any different. We're all quiet, doing the same thing for six times around this wall. And then the seventh time, we get to do something a little different. Whoop-dee-doo. Your miracle is in the mundane. The same things you do on a consistent basis. One guy said it like this, and I promise my final closing. (laughs) Your miracle is in your daily routine. Your miracle is in your daily routine. What do you do daily, consistently in your life? Stand with me if you would. Father, I thank you tonight for the power of your word, Lord, that we will see it, we will plan it, and God, that we will execute that plan. God, I thank you that you will help us, you will guide us, and Lord, where we're off, where we're making mistakes, where we're, where we're not doing this the right way, God, you will guide us. And Lord, that you're not afraid of failure, because Lord God, you've been dealing with us a long time and seen lots of failure. But yet you love us, and you pick us back up, and you put us right back on the right path and help us get back to where we need to be. Father, there are so many dreams. The cumulative dreams in this place tonight, Lord God, are astounding. And Father, I just thank you, Father God, that you're breathing life into dreams that have once gone by the wayside. Maybe we're letting age kill our dream. Thinking, I'm too old now. It's too late now. Lord, I just pray tonight that you're breathing life into those dreams. In Jesus' mighty and powerful name. Amen. Amen. Chuck and I are going to hang around the altar here and we'd be happy to pray with anybody that